Thanks for joining us for another phenomenal message from C3 Church in San Diego, California. For more info on C3 Church, go to c3sandiego.com. Thank you for such a great welcome. It is absolutely wonderful to be with you. Please be seated. Great to be here and a great worship team. What an awesome team. I love it. Thank you very much. We just enjoyed the ministry so much. We've had a great time over the weekend and uh, seen God do so much. I, I can't help but commend your leaders, uh, Pastor Jurgen. What a, what, a, yeah, what a great work you have done. Church, each year I've come, the church is more and more and more open and uh, the atmosphere is shifting. It's a great church and if I was going to be any place, I'd be in this church. It's a great church to be in. I love this church. I love the feel of it, the atmosphere of it, the excellence of it. it it's just my kind of thing. We love it. We just love being here. We love you guys and uh, just amazing. Well, I want to, um, uh, Pastor Jurgen just asked if I would share again message I bought yesterday. There'll be some of you here didn't hear it, some of you did hear it, uh, but you can, we can always get a little more every time we hear things, can't we? And uh, um, over the years, uh, we've had to counsel and minister to many, many people, and after a while you begin to find certain patterns repeat, and you find certain issues come up, and they become like common issues. And many times the difficulty is we don't connect what we're experiencing in life now with decisions and choices we made some time ago. And uh, like if I step off, you know, a high cliff, I've got a, an immediate consequence for my mistake. Uh, there's an immediate painful rea uh, response. But with the issue of sin, sin is deceptive in that you can make decisions and choices not understanding really what you're doing or the outcome, what the consequence will be in your life later on. And uh, yet it's always the Word of God gives insight to these things. And I want to speak, when we've counseled people and they've been in trouble in their marriage, two areas we always look to to explore because these are contributing factors inevitably. One of them is has there been sexual relationships or abuse of any kind or a trauma of any kind prior to their marriage. But the other one is the one that I've found consistently to be one of the most significant. How did you leave home? What was your relationship with your father and mother? And as soon as I start to get talk in that area, you start to find things come out and we begin to discover that what people are walking through now is the legacy of an unresolved conflict that they came out of their home with. And we're living in a generation where families are breaking down, marriages are breaking down, there's many broken families and blended families, and so you have a generation arising which finds themselves struggling to succeed in relationships but not knowing why there is such a problem. And uh, part of that is the lack of good models. And so we need to be in a church where there's a modeling of good relationships, but there are also spiritual roots. Let me just give you, uh, I want to read a scripture for you. Uh, it's found in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, uh, it says in Ephesians 6, and uh, in verse 2 and verse 3, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So notice he highlights one of the commandments. It's the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Now when God gives us commandments, it's, these are, he's defining 
the realms within which life works and succeeds. So when God says to honor your father and mother, and we'll look at what that might mean shortly, what it means is that there is an outcome in your life that goes on to the next generation. And, and he defines what it is. He said, that's what he says, that, you may, uh, that it may be well with you and you'll live long on the earth. Now, that implies if I violate the law and dishonor either my father or my mother, there will be consequences exactly the opposite. In other words, my life uh, expectancy can be shortened and it means that I will have struggles in relationships that go right back to this, life won't go well for me. And the trouble is I can't see why life is not going well for me because I can't see what the root cause is. And I'll show you exactly why you can't see the root cause, but the Word of God will open it up. Let me just give you a couple of testimonies or a couple of examples. I had a word of knowledge in, a, in, in City Harvest Bible School and, uh, a, about a young man with a pain, pain in his shoulder, and he came forward. And as he came forward, I went to pray for him to set him free from this uh, condition in his shoulder, which looked like it was a healing. Uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, he hates his father. There's bitterness in his heart. I said, how do you get on with your dad? He said, I love my dad. Can, can you see in his own thinking, he loves his dad. And, uh, and of course, I got a bit thrown with that. And I said, uh, I said, Lord, you've got to help me. Give me a bit more. And I said, isn't it true that your father travels a lot and he's not home very much? And he said, that's right. So isn't it also true that actually you're quite angry that he has not been there for you at significant times in your life? I mean, too busy for you when he's been back. Actually, you're quite bitter in your heart against your father. And he said, that's true. And I said, the reason you have this problem in your shoulder is because of a spirit of infirmity is entered into you because you've dishonored your father and harbored bitterness and judgment towards him. I said, you need to repent of that. And so in front of all the students, he confessed. He repented of what he had done, the dishonoring of his father and harboring bitterness and forgave his father. I commanded the spirit of infirmity. It left him immediately. He was immediately set free. Now wait, then he said to me, he said, actually, I didn't just have a pain in my shoulder. I have pain all over my back. And the doctor told me that my spine is stiffening and by the age of 40, I will not be able to bend at all. Life will not go well for you. And there was a direct connection between an issue he had with his father and life not going well for him and possibly his life expectancy being shorter than it could have been. Uh, I'll give you another example. I had another young man and he was in conflict with one of the cell group leaders and so they, we sat down to have a talk with him and as I talked with him I asked him, well how do you get on at work? And he said, oh, I just finished the job. I said, why did you finish the job? He said, oh, I fell out with the boss. And I'm thinking straight away, you have a problem with authority figures. And the primary authority figures to represent God's authority are our mother and father. And they're called on to represent God to us so we begin to understand this is the first authority in our life that we have to yield to. This is the first one to shape our life. They're there to reflect to us what God is like. 
and uh, of course they may poorly re represent God and cause us to have a totally false image, but nevertheless, this is God's design, hence the, the need to honor. So I checked out and I said, well, how'd you get on with the last job? He said, oh, I had fell out with the boss there, left that too. I said, really? I said, I noticed you're in the army for, how'd you get on the army? So I enjoyed the army. Oh, really? That was great. How'd you get on with the officers? Oh, they were always picking on me. I never got on with the officers. I said, how'd you get on at school? Don't tell me. I bet you fell out with the teachers and left school early. He said, how'd you know that? I said, how'd you get on with your father? And he said, oh, he's an adopted father. I was adopted, actually. Uh, actually, I fell out with him. He kicked me out of home. And I said, let me tell you what your problem is. You are bitter and resentful against your natural parents, mother and father, for adopting you out. You have never faced the impact of your adoption. And your bitterness is projected out against your, uh, the father who's taken you into his heart and home to raise you. You've projected your hostility and your dishonor to him. And now every authority figure in your life you're having conflicts with, life is not working well for you. Don't you realize that it's the issue in your heart of the dishonor of your natural father and mother. You have judged them for rejecting you. Yeah. Yet you don't know why they did that. You have no idea what they were facing and why they took those steps, nor what pain and grief they may be suffering to this day for having given you up. You are reaping the consequence of violating the law of God. And uh, so it quite, a, quite a revelation. I had another lady I spoke with and, and uh, she came to see me as a Chinese lady and I said, what's your problem? She said, well, I had a, I've got this guy who wants to marry me. I said, well, that sounds pretty good. Is he a Christian? No, he's not a Christian. It doesn't sound very good. I said, <laughs> I said tell me that. She said, oh, well, I was going with him for a while and, uh, and we broke up and then I had a fling with another guy and I got a baby to another guy. And, but now this guy wants to marry me. And I said, oh, really? And I said, tell me why you broke up. And she said, well, uh, while he was dating me, he was unfaithful. He had three other relationships that he had during that course of the relationship with me. I said, well, you did well to give him up. You know, a person like that is unfaithful and uh, he's not a Christian, he hasn't changed. This is not gonna be a good situation in the future either. I don't recommend you carry on in this relationship at all. And uh, then I began, I said, how'd you get on with your father? And she said, oh, I don't talk with him at all. I said, really? Uh, what's happened? She said, oh, the, the father and mother broke up years ago when I was younger. She said, why did they break up? And notice this. Oh, he had about two or three other women on the side when he was living with mum. He was unfaithful to mum with at least two or three other women. I said, can you see that it's almost like the conflict that you have walked away from in your home, you are now refacing in your life. It's like it's replaying. Do you see that there's a connection? She couldn't see the connection. I said, the issue you have is you have a problem with men and you have a problem that comes from dishonoring your father because you've judged his behavior and found fault in him. God doesn't call you to judge him or dishonor him. God's word says, if you honor your father and mother, it will go well for you and you'll live a long life. So it's interesting, interesting principles, aren't they? And so I want to just show you those connections first of all. And I want to just open up for you and just have a, just a look at this whole issue of what honor does and then what judgment does and show you a story from the Bible of a couple who had to make a choice. Both of them were uh, treated in an abusive way by a father, but each one responded differently. And when we're treated badly or there's neglect, or all kinds of issues come up, we can choose to uh, bring grace into it 
and choose to respond in grace or we can bring judgment into it and there's a different outcome. We choose the outcome of our experiences and what, what we choose decides how we come out at the other end. Interesting with Joseph having been suffered all kinds of injustice, he was able to say, it wasn't you did this, God sent me before you. He saw the hand of God shaping his life for his destiny. So wherever you have come from, whatever background you've come from, whether parents were good or bad, whether it was a bad situation, abusive situation, whatever it is, you have to understand this. God knew where you would be born and who you'd be born to. He had a destiny for you. And it comes from Him redeeming the situation you've been birthed into. And when God redeems it, it becomes a stepping stone for the ministry call you have in your life. So let's just have a look at a couple of scriptures in Psalm 100 verse 4. Psalm 100 verse 4. In Psalm 100, and it tells us, I just first of all look at this issue of honor and dishonor in, uh, in relationship to God. In, in, in uh, Psalm 100 verse 4, it tells us how to enter the presence of God. It tells us very clearly so we don't, have to un we don't have to work it out. I like this. So here it is. Enter his gates, verse 4, with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. Eh? So it says to be thankful to him. Bless his name. So in other words, it's telling to enter the presence of the Lord means to come into connection, relationship, and experience with Him. And it tells us how to do it. When you come into the presence of God, you need to come with two things. You need to come, one, with a grateful heart, a thankful and appreciative heart. To appreciate means to increase the value of someone, to magnify them. And to praise means to place honor or value upon them. So it says if you want to come into the presence of God, come with honor honor and come with gratitude. And, and this is important, see, because he's a great and a wonderful king. In other words, respect who he is, give him honor, and give him gratitude, and what will happen is you will attract the presence of God to you. So you notice we start our meetings and we start them with songs of praise, songs that honor God. And as we do that, we find the presence of God begins to come. In other words, what we honor will be attracted to us. The, uh, the converse is true. What you dishonor or disrespect will move away from you. So if you have a look in uh, Romans 1.21... And again, it's talking about the connection with God, but the principle applies to every realm in life. Romans 1.21, because they knew God, so they already know God, this is a people that knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, or they did not give Him the honor, the weight, or the what was due to Him for who He was, neither were they thankful, in other words, they're ungrateful, unappreciative. Now notice what happens. Before we saw, if you want to come into the presence of God or attract God to you, place honor and place appreciation on Him, and He is attracted to you. Now you notice it says that they did something else. They did not honor Him, they dishonored Him, or uh, minimized His value in their life, and they were not grateful or appreciative. Now notice what happens, the change that takes place is internal and external. So you notice the first thing that happens, their foolish heart became darkened. So when we dishonor and uh, show lack of appreciation for significant people in our life, then what happens is there's a darkness comes into us. Our, uh, the, and when you're in darkness, you can't see clearly. 
And when you can't see clearly, you make mistakes, you make errors of judgment, you do things that you normally wouldn't do if you could see clearly. And it says there's a progression, it says their hearts were darkened, and they thought they're smart and wise. They thought in their own mind, it's okay for me to be like this, but it says they became fools. And then if you watch, there's a progression down into deep immorality. So we see in two parts of scripture, honor and gratitude or appreciation and placing value on God attracts his presence to us. Dishonor and lack of gratitude causes darkness to develop in our life. We can't see clearly and we begin to walk away from God and our life becomes filled with other things. So here's the principle, what you honor and appreciate will grow in value in your life and will be attracted to you. What you dishonor and fail to appreciate will move away from you. See, so, and, and here's the thing, the word honor means to ascribe value to place of value. So the amount of honor you give a person is your decision. You can choose to honor and place value. You can choose to see faults, judge, and then dishonor or devalue. Before you mistreat someone, you first of all dishonor them in your heart. See, that's why when someone starts yelling and shouting and abusing someone, already in their heart they have devalued them, they've looked at a fault, a, some way that they felt let down, and they've made a judgment that now has lowered the value of that person. Now they feel justified in being able to speak out and act and do what they do. So this issue of honor is a huge and important principle in the kingdom. If you want to build successful relationships, practice the principle of honor placing value with your words, with your attitudes, with your actions. Now, what do we honor, you know? What do we honor? Well, there's a number of things we can, we can ascribe honor for. And one of the things we ascribe honor is someone achieves greatly. So I notice up here on the screen, someone had achieved something we really value, and that is serving. So there was honor given. They were raised up and they were elevated, and there's some appreciative gift given. And it's right for us to do this because there was achievement, so we honor achievement. Now, so then the second thing is we honor character. So someone is courageous, they make a stand when everyone else is going the other way. We consider that to be virtuous. We consider that to be worthy of respect or honor. So we honor people who show character, good character. We also honor office. We honor people because of the office they carry. So the office of the president, doesn't matter who is the president, the office is honored. Therefore, the person occupying the office receives respect. The president comes in, automatically you will all start to respond with honor. Regardless of what you may think about the president is actually an honor due to the positioning than the role of the office they have. And then there's another level of honor Get this, there's another level of honor which we have to learn to give. And that's the honor that we place on people because they are made in the image of God. They're made in the image of God. The image may be damaged, the image may be broken, but they are eternal spirit beings and their value to God is this. He gave his only son to die on the cross 
to express the value that individual people have to him. So every person that you see, no matter the lowest criminal, the worst prostitute, deepest drug addict, they are of immense value to God. So when you honor them, you are acknowledging the value that God has placed on them. So as Christians, we have a totally different perspective on honor. In the world, the, the, the thinking is you give honor because they deserve it. But for us who are part of the kingdom of God, we give honor because that's how we represent God who honors the just and the unjust alike, it tells us. Any idea? So once you're born into the kingdom of God, honor becomes your way of life. You actually treat people with respect and with dignity. I remember one story of a revivalist and he was in a train and an alcoholic came in, sat down just opposite him and, uh, and, and he's, you know, booze everywhere and unshaven, the old coat and stuff like this. And, uh, and the guy pulls out the bottle and says, oh, you like a drink, like a whiskey. And, uh, and the guy on, uh, uh, spoke to him in this way. Now you notice the honor that's in it. He said, no, thank you. Uh, I don't wish to drink but I can see you're a generous man. And he preserved the man's dignity even though he said no to the offer of the alcohol. Gave honor to him. See what it's like? Uh, honor has a way of shifting things. I was on a train station in, uh, in Copenhagen. Uh, I'd been at a wedding with my son and daughter, and, uh, daughter, son-in-law and daughter. And uh, we came out, and as I looked across the station, I went, these are electric lines, electric trains coming and going. And there's a crowd of people on the other platform, on the other side going the other way. And I looked, I caught the eye of a person, and he began to manifest. And I looked, I know that look. I thought, I got to stop looking, you know, and I'm looking out of the corner of my eye and, uh, and, and I see him staring at me and I'm thinking, oh, I always wanted to, I start to pray in tongues. And, uh, and then, then as I look out of the corner of my eye, I see him coming forward, just like I thought he was going to do. And he's manifesting, he's in a full manifestation mode. And, uh, and he jumps off the railway, uh, off the platform onto the railway line, start to cross the railway lines. Now I'm thinking, oh man. This is not going to be good. We're going to have a scene very soon. I'm hoping the train will come quick, you know, <laughs> get me out of here. And, uh, and, and of course, this is very dangerous. Cross, you're not supposed to cross these lines like this. dangerous. And he's totally not concerned about his, his, uh, his um, welfare of, of any kind. He's just coming across. He's determined to come to me. And so he comes across, jumps up, and he walks over and events. I can't ignore him. So I turned around and I said, hello. And he begins to rant. And his eyes are ablaze. And, and he's yelling. He's going to kill a policeman. And he's going to kill this policeman. And, uh, and I'm trying to find out what's going on. And it's hard to get it with the broken language. And, uh, and, and, and in the midst of it, I can tell that obviously the police somewhere have treated him unjustly. He's full of bitterness and hatred and rage at authorities. wants to find a policeman kill him. So I thought, it's not good, you know, if you can't find a policeman, he'll be next. And uh, so I'm thinking what to do. And, and the Lord just showed me what to do. And I said to him, because it was hard to communicate, I said, sir, I have a gift for you. And I reached in my pocket and took out two chocolates, which I'd picked up on the way coming out of the, uh, out of the, uh, out of the wedding. You know, there's chocolates in the bowl. <laughs> and uh, had the chocolates in the bowl. And <laughs> by Mr. Bean, isn't it really? And uh, so I took these two chocolates out and I, I asked him to hold his hand out and I put the two chocolates in his hand, close hand, and just put my hand on his. 
and all the anger and hostility just left him. In other words, the demon that was tormenting him just left, just like that. And he looked at me, and there's tears coming in his eyes, and he put his arms around me, gave me a big hug, and just kissed me on both cheeks. And then he turned around, walked away, crossed the tracks again, back over the other side, just like that. Now notice this, it's the, the gift of honor. See, it's the gift of honor. It's something I gave that placed value on him. And, and so honor is, has an amazing way of softening the hearts of people. And it's, we, don't, we don't honor people because they deserve it. We honor people because we represent an honoring God. The kingdom of heaven is full of honor. See, God honored us. How did he honor us? He came into this broken earth. Just his presence here among us honors us. You honor people when you're present with them. Think about that. And then he honored us by sacrificing his only son. So God has placed immense honor on us. We are of great value. So when you come into the kingdom, you begin to see people differently. And we see them that they are eternal spirit beings. They have an eternal destiny. And we need to place value on people because of just that reason. Get the idea? Okay then. So now there's an issue then if we dishonor. So to dishonor means to, uh, to uh, place no value. It means to despise. It means to treat like a vapor, literally. It means to treat that someone's, what your opinion's nothing to me. You're, you're of no value. Often people come into church, they look around and they see it in terms of a social structure and who's of value to help me get ahead. And, and I'll pursue you because uh, you are of value for me to go ahead. Now this is a self-agended kind of way of relating rather than actually seeing in the church is the family of God. Every person is of value and I must learn to place honor on people. One, the place, place honor by generosity place honor by serving. So, but the Bible is very clear also that if we dishonor our parents particularly, there are some inevitable consequences of it. And I want to just show you what they are. I want you to have a look with me in Hebrews 12 verse 15. Hebrews 12 15. I better get moving or run out of time on this. Hebrews 12 15. And it says, notice this what it says here in verse 15. Uh, it says, Verse 15, looking, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one can see the Lord. In other words, pursue great relationships with everyone and also pursue to have a pure heart without which no one sees the Lord. Looking carefully, or in other words, being very diligent. Now notice this, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many are defiled. So notice it says that we need to watch we don't fall out of grace. Grace is an empowerment. Grace, I place value. Grace, I give you something you don't deserve. And it says, watch out that you don't fall out of the grace of God and something happen that a root of bitterness come up in your life. And so instead of being generous and kind and loving, instead now there is a bitter judgment going on in the heart and that bitterness will defile your relationships. And so he's saying, be careful because this can happen. That to be in the grace of God means God forgives me, I receive God's grace, I receive God's empowerment, but He empowers me to handle the shortfalls and failures of others in a gracious way. 
So instead of judging them, becoming angry and hurt and harboring bitterness against them and really wanting to pay them back and have revenge or for them to actually do something to restore the thing, I can actually put grace into the situation. It's not they deserved it. Grace got nothing to do with deserving it. Grace is grace. Got nothing to do with works. I, it's what I do because I've chosen to live in the grace of God. See? So you notice then, if I don't put grace into difficult situations, I will respond with judgment. You'll either put grace into difficult situations or judgment. So every time someone hurts you and offends you, you choose whether you respond with grace and truth or whether you respond with the law and judgment. You make that choice every time you... Now, here's the problem. Once you've got bitterness in your heart, you will go into a cycle of responding with judgment every time. You'll have the same kinds of responses to the same sorts of things. And so it's very, very difficult. Let's have a look and I'll just connect it to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus... Now, he's teaching the principles of the kingdom, teaching how the kingdom operates. And particularly, he's saying certain thing in here in verse 7. And he, and he warns about the issue of judging, judging people. Now, we are not to be stupid. We are to judge situations. We are to look with discernment about situations. We're to know exactly what people are. If someone's got issues in their life, uh, we need to actually be able to discern what they are. But the issue of judging is not about discerning what issues are. It's actually how I respond in my heart to the person. Okay, now here it is in, in Matthew chapter 7. Judge not... So he's saying, don't be judgmental. To be a judge, you actually come and you, a judge sits in an elevated position above everyone else, looks down and sees what has gone wrong or sees the evidence, comes to a conclusion and passes a sentence on a person. So he's saying, don't elevate yourself above others as though you'd never do it and look down and judge them. He said, because if you do that, you'll find yourself where you are being judged. Notice what he goes on and he says, for the judgment you judge, that's how you'll be judged. With the measure you give it out, it'll be measured back to you. So if you give out grace wherever you go, grace will return to you. If you give out judgment wherever you go, judgment will return to you. And it doesn't just return from where you gave it, it returns from all kinds of places. So the person, for example, who judges his father or the woman who judges her father will find that judgment will return from every man that she meets and can connects with intimately or tries to relate to in her life because she set a cycle off that just will keep reaping forever. It just keeps going until it's stopped. And he says, why? And notice he said, the way you respond to people is how it'll be given back to you. So if I, if I put grace into a situation of pain, I put forgiveness into it, then I know that life through, through the presence of God, God will return grace and forgiveness to me. Maybe not through that person, but life will return it to me. It'll be a part of my life. David said, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In other words, that wherever he goes, his experience of life was one that goodness and mercy was always there for him. Why? Because he walked in it himself. He dished it out. They have a sort of saying, you know, what goes round comes round. 
See, so you dish out judgment, it comes back to you. Yeah. So notice what he says here. He says, how can you say to your brother, so this is someone you're in a relationship with, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, there's a beam in your own eye. First remove the plank from your own eye and you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now if you notice here, the context is judging. And what he's saying here, he's, he's saying if you want to help someone, you can't help them if you have judgment already in your heart because you can't see clearly. Judgment in your heart blinds you to the true condition of others. You just can't see. You see through your judgment. That's why you want a pure heart. When I have a pure heart that loves people, I look for the best and see the best. But if I've got a judgment in my heart, I will interpret life through the judgment of the heart. Let, let me give you an example how this can work. So, for, for example, a, a woman that judges her father and said, well, a father, perhaps the marriage broke up, the father abandoned the family, terribly abusive man. So she makes a judgment against her father, you know, about being abusive, about being untrustworthy. And so she comes to a bitter judgment in her heart, men can't be trusted. Men will abandon you. Men will reject you. Men will let you down. Now, wherever she goes in life, what's flowing out of her heart is an expectation that men will let her down. And she will automatically lock into men who are wired to do exactly that. She, she will actually be attracted to the kind of man because it'll feel right. He'll feel right. Why does he feel right? It feels just like the deal I'm used to with dad. And so even though she said, sometimes people start making an inner vow, you know, I'll never be like my father. Now, when people say, I'll never be like my father, they've got a judgment. They've already judged him. And now they make an inner vow, never to be like him. You know what's inevitable? You'll be just like him. And you'll hear someone say, oh, you're just like your dad, mean. What? I said, I'll never be like him. How did that happen? Because of the bitter root that's affecting how you relate. So, for example, if, if for example, you come to a, a judgment in your heart, a bitter judgment that uh, I'm not good enough or people don't like me or I'm not accepted. Suppose you say parents broke up and you've concluded uh, the parents broke up. Now, here's what the deal was. They had their problems. They couldn't work it out. They didn't care enough perhaps about you to resolve the issues, so they broke up. As a young child, you look at it and you try and interpret what that means. What does this mean? And you put on a judgment. This must mean I'm not acceptable. I'm to blame. So now with that judgment in your heart, everywhere you go in life, you'll see through the eyes of judgment and interpret people's behaviors in the light of your judgment. See, so I used a, uh, an example yesterday. Suppose Pastor Jurgen's walking into church and uh, he's very, very busy. He had something come up just before he came in. He's trying to solve a couple of problems, got a me meeting to get ready for. And so he's totally focused on getting ready and solving these issues. And so he comes into the building, walks through, and I'm standing next to someone. And uh, we both say, hey, Pastor Jurgen, how you doing? And he doesn't respond at all, just head down. And he goes through, carries on. Now. We both saw an event. Now, what happens next is I will interpret or judge what does this mean? Wow. What does that mean? And so I might just say, oh, well, you know, obviously Pastor Jude's busy. I'll catch up with him later. Didn't hear me. Something like that. Who knows? Uh, I'll just catch up later, you see. In other words, I've made no judgment what it meant. None at all. But the other person, and he's grown up, and his father was abusive and rejected him, come to the conclusion, you know, I'm not acceptable, I'm rejected. He looks, he's, he doesn't like me. I knew he didn't like me. 
Did you see that? He's walked right past me. I know what that means. It means he doesn't like me. Now you see, you notice that the conclusion or the judgment that has been put out on the action is come from my own heart. It had nothing to do with reality at all. It's actually imposing on it. Now, the next thing that happens is I'll be tormented by spirits. And I'll feel angry and resentful. I sit through the meeting, can't hear anything. I'm so angry at Pastor Jurgen because he rejected me because it stirs up in me the pain of being rejected by my father and he's like a father in the house. It's just like this whole thing's happening again and I'm just seething with resentment and anger and offense and I didn't even get it right. It's all because of the judgment I made and my life's in turmoil. Spirits are in tormenting me and it's, it's got nothing to do with reality. He was just pissy. I come up to him two years later, I've, I've hated you for two years. He says, what? Yeah, 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 I spoke to you and you walked past me. I'm so sorry, I didn't even hear you. I had something happen, I was preoccupied with that. If I'd heard you, I would have stopped and talked to you. And that, this goes on all the time. Two years of torment just because of a judgment in the heart. So now, if you've come up out of a family and you've dishonored your parents by making judgments against them and their behavior and what it meant, why they did what they did and what it all meant, and you've started to judge it all and come to conclusions about yourself and about them, what's going to happen is you're going to carry into every relationship in your life those judgments and they're going to reap a harvest. It's not going to be a little thing. It's going to be everywhere you go. It'll be in your marriage. It'll be in your family. And you, you'll be misinterpreting things in the work. You're misinterpreting in the church. This is why a lot of people can't stick in church. They're carrying baggage in the heart and then out it comes. No matter what church they go to, just the same stuff eventually comes out. Because it's in the heart and out of the heart flow the issues of life. So we make choices how we respond to our family background, to the injustices, the pain, the hurts, the disappointments, the difficulties. I remember when uh, I was having to face this and deal with this with my own relationship with my dad. And uh, I'd felt very rejected uh, for years in my life. My dad came home from the war and uh, he had uh, had four and a half years on the front line, seen his friends just one after the other killed, blown up, maimed, all kinds of things happening. Eventually had a breakdown, came back, and it affected him emotionally all the rest of his life. He was no longer outgoing. He just was quite closed up. As well as that, he uh, also had a father committed adultery and abandoned the family, and he'd grown up uh, uh, pretty well without uh, a male connection. So his own heart was frozen up. There was, it wasn't that he didn't love us. Actually, his actions showed he was deeply committed to his family, but he could not give me love in a way I was looking for it. I wanted him to hug me. I wanted him to tell me he loved me. I wanted him to approve of the things I did. He just couldn't do it. And of course, I had a real bitterness in my heart about that. The Lord spoke to me about that, and he spoke to me this way. He said, what you're trying to get your father to do is impossible for him to do. He said, I want you to consider a man with a broken leg. You're trying to get a man with a broken leg to run, and he can't run. And you're judging him because he can't run. Your father is damaged in his emotions. He can't do for you what you want. You have to accept him like he is and stop judging him and learn to honor him and give to him what he can't give to you. You have to make the change yourself and allow him to be himself and not judge him anymore and turn from dishonor into honor. 
See, these are, these are amazing things, aren't they? Okay, let's have another story. I'll have a quick story in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Jürgen will, okay, Jürgen will love me afterwards. Isn't that one? No, one thank you, Jürgen, you're so loving. Isn't that great? These lovely notes up the front. It's nice to have girls that write letters to you at the front. <laughs> Some of those ones, I think, Jürgen, you're awesome. And <laughs> you didn't get affirmed, I can see. You got too many slappings. <laughs> Oh, well, you'll be up in the altar call too, yes. <laughs> okay, 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter... Another altar call for you, Jürgen. I think you've just got me here for you. <laughs> Leon said I had to come. <laughs> okay, 2 Samuel chapter 6. I need to move on so we can finish this. Now, I just want to just help you see it in, in a biblical framework because this is such an important principle and I'll show you what you've got to make a decision to do and, uh, and making that decision and starting to work it out with God will change your life. Yes. 2 Samuel chapter 2, uh, this is what's happened. David has a call of God on his life. David marries Michael who is Saul's daughter and the Bible says she loved him. She was in love with him and he loved her too. And unfortunately, Saul was an extremely controlling, abusive father and father-in-law. And he was manipulative. He was insecure. And so he tried to take David down. Every opportunity, he would try to take him down, tried to kill him, tried to do all kinds of things. In the end, what he did was uh, he sought, he sent soldiers to kill him. His wife heard about it, helped him escape, helped him get out of the town, and he was then declared to be a national fugitive. There was an APB out on him everywhere, shoot on sight. Wow. So you've got to get a context for this. It's like a shoot on sight. Armed, dangerous, fugitive. Don't negotiate, just kill him. Now, and David had done nothing to deserve this. David had acted honorably towards Saul. Now he's pursued. As soon as he set out the APB on David, then he took his daughter. Now again, this shows you the, the bitterness and the abusive nature of the man. And he forced her into marriage to another man. Now imagine she's got her first love, David, on the run. And her father, her father has forced her to marry and now sleep with and have sexual relationship with a man. You've got no love for this man whatsoever. And so now she got an issue with her father and his abusive behavior. But David can't get back to us. You imagine the torment David went through having a wife he loved and knowing she's been given over to some other man, some other man sleeping with this wife he loves every night. Now you understand this is horrendous background that both of them went through. But God is preparing them to be king and queen over a nation and to set the destiny of the nation. And each of them has to make a choice how they'll respond to the abuse of treatment. Wow. With judgment or with grace. Wow. So this story here should have been the most wonderful highlight of their lives. Wow. They've been apart for years. God has dealt with Saul. Finally, the dream, the destiny, the prophetic destiny is about to be fulfilled. David is now ascended into the throneship and he's bringing the ark into the city. 
This should have been the time when husband and wife can stand at the highlight of their lives. They're together again. They're now in the place God wanted them to be. And Israel's about to come into its greatest season in its history. Now I want you to see the difference between the two of them. Your ability to enter your destiny is dependent on you dealing with the issues in your heart when you go through the seasons of trouble. You will either graduate or you'll disqualify. Now notice what happened. They're both there. This should have been her finest hour. It says now David, verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might. He took off all the kingly robes and now he's out and he's dancing. He just doesn't care what any person thinks. It's like when Jürgen went to Oktoberfest, got the leather shorts on, and he's doing that, you know, the stuff. He didn't care what anyone thought like. You know, a couple of handles there, and the umpa music, umpa umpa. And he's out there, he's just dancing, going for it in those leather shorts. Fantastic. See, totally unashamed. You know that's exactly what it's like. He is so free. Just like David was just free, and he's dancing and whirling, you know, and it just is amazing, you see. He's having a great time. And anyway, there it is. David's dancing before the Lord, and he's got the musicians out. There's trumpets, there's shouting. It is wild and noisy. It's about a C3 kind of church, you know. They're all going. Trumpets, you made a trumpets, a hundred trumpets. That's got to make a big sound, you know. And so everyone's shouting and yelling, and uh, he's just having a great time. He's just thinking about the Lord. And, uh, but as the ark came into the city, verse 16, uh, uh, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window. You notice she's not participating in Israel's greatest event. God is invading the city. And she can't enter into what God is doing. Revival is there. The move of God is there. But she can't enter it. She's a looker. She sees it happening, but she can't interpret what it means. Remember what I said? That, that first remove the beam out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly. She can't see clearly. She looks and she just sees, what a stupid husband I've got. Should be more kingly than that. Why doesn't he sort of dress up properly? And why, why is he out there dancing like that and making an idiot of himself all over the place? He said, look what it said, she despised them in her heart. This is the girl that once walked down the aisle and gave her heart to this man. But something's gone on. Here's what's gone on. She had bitterness in her heart against her father. She never resolved that. Her brother never resolved it either. She never resolved it. And that bitterness projected against David. So the bitterness against her father for the ill treatment now is manifesting in her marriage against her husband. And instead of being able to enjoy what God is doing, instead of being able to celebrate and enter into with her husband his greatest moment of victory, she is excluded by the bitterness and judgment in her heart. And all she can do is find fault. When people are fault finders, they are giving voice to the bitterness of their own heart. Fault finding always comes out of a heart that contains bitterness and judgments. It actually is the expression of the bitterness. It's the expression of judgments. 
And notice what it says, David returned to his household and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. Notice what she's like in her marriage. Oh, how glorious is the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of the servants like, one of, like, a, like a crude fellow who's shamelessly stripping off and dancing in front of the girls. And he said, I did it before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people. Therefore, I'll play music before the Lord and I'll be even more vile than this. Yeah, that's the way to respond to religious criticism about your liberty, to be even more liberating, more, more extravagant. Notice what it says, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Therefore, now notice when it says, therefore, it connects what's about to be stated with what has gone before. Her despising because of the bitterness in her heart towards her father, now projected towards her husband and towards the work of God, therefore she produced no more fruit. She was barren. Bitterness and judgment in your heart against a parent will lead to barrenness spiritually in many, many aspects of your life. It's as clear as you can get it. And we can't afford to let that be in there. Now you may say, well, you know, you didn't realize what my father's like. He was violent, abusive, and he beat, and he was sexually abused, all those kind of things. And, and there are some families where it is like that. I don't believe that God requires us to stay in such a situation. In fact, legally, we're required to report it to the police and to intervene and to do all that can be uh, done in order to bring separation so the person's safety is foremost. So you're not dishonoring a parent if you flee for your safety. That is not what dishonor is about. You're actually doing what you need to do. You say, David fled for his safety. One dishonoring. See, David had an opportunity to slay uh, uh, Saul on two occasions. And on two occasions, the men around said, Woo, this is your moment. And then they spiritualized it. God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Get him. See, now if there was any bitterness in David's heart, he would have got him. But there was nothing. He said, No. He said, No. He said, You, you, you want to say, No. Uh, this is the Lord's anointing. God has positioned him here. It's God's job to sort him out and deal with him. I'm going to not dishonor God by judging him or attacking him in any kind of way. I won't lift my hand against him. Twice David went through that test. Twice he went through the test. Spared his life, and then he came out and persecuted him again. He spared him again. Twice he could have killed him. And he demonstrated that he had a heart that recognized that even though this man did not fulfill his office properly, was corrupt, was angry, was violent, was murderous, was abusive, was controlling, was manipulative. He said, nevertheless, I'll not lift my hand against him. This is God's business. If I lift my hand against him, I will find myself in conflict with God. So it, this is an issue of faith. It's an issue of faith. So if you have been in situations where it's been difficult or whatever, we need to, need to resolve it in the heart. We've got to resolve in the heart the things that have happened. I found that uh, like this young woman that I shared with you before, she didn't even want to talk about her dad. So why don't you want to talk about it? She said, it's too painful. I said, but what's happened is you've locked your heart 
with the pain in judgment and now it's out working in your life. You need to have the courage to go there, face the pain, resolve the judgments and release forgiveness and come into a place of honor. Not honoring him because of what he's done. It may, may have been very, very bad. Not honoring him because of his character. Not honoring even perhaps because uh, of any, anything, anything that he's done. But actually honoring because he is your father. And God says, place honor on your mother and father. And it's because he actually still is a spirit eternal being who God values. Therefore, place honor him just because of that. But we're, we're to honor parents because it's how we express our honor of God and it has lifelong consequences in its outworking. So what does that look like? Pray for them. A lot of people can't pray and call God Father. Why can't they call God Father? Because inside the word Father immediately raises issues of the heart. And so, oh dear Jesus and Jesus this, Jesus that. And they can't say, Father, I come to you into your presence to love you and worship you. People can't do that because things are in the heart. Why don't you ask God, what is in my heart that I need to resolve towards a father, towards a mother? What is it I need to resolve? What is it I have run from? What is it I've buried? What is it that was so painful back then, I just closed it up, but now I know I need to deal with it because it's gonna flow into my marriage, into my family, into the next generation. Someone's gotta stop it. I need to stop it. I need to come into grace, not judgment. Why don't you make that decision to do that? See, when you stand, can you stand in your heart? Oh, Father, I love you. I just come in. I thank you. I'm your child. I thank you, Father. And you see that picture of the prodigal son and the father just loving on him. That's our father. That's what our father is like. Jesus came to reveal what the father is like. So if we're going to love Jesus. Actually, he represented the father. Come on. We need to just address these issues of the heart. So for some, they may be had a really good family. You can still honor your parents. How do you honor them? First things, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Picture your dad. And as you picture him, God, I just bless my father. I just reach out and I thank you for him. I hold him in my heart. See, to honor someone means to hold them in your heart. Make room in your heart for them and then place value upon them. Lord, I just bless him and I just pray for him. Maybe he's dead. You can still honor him and honor his memory in your heart. See, pray for your mother. Do it the same way. If there's anything in your heart, when you try and pray that way, it'll come up straight away. You'll feel the block of flow, the resistance. The words will feel empty. They'll feel like they're not authentic. Your mind will be in torment. You know then there's something going on in your heart. We can honor our parents with words, words of gratitude, words of appreciation. Sit down and write a letter and, and say, Mom, I want to thank you, Mom, for these things. I started to remember these wonderful ways you've sacrificed and given of yourself. I just want to honor you for these things and thank you for the, what you've imparted to my life. We can do it with gifts, small gifts. Often a gift will do something. Uh, we can do it with time. Uh, there's many ways you can express honor, but it won't flow unless the heart is free. I want to ask you, is your heart free of bitterness and judgment so you can bring honor to your father and mother and model for the next generation what it looks like to be successful? Amen. Let's just, let's give a lot of clap, shall we? Let's give a lot of clap. I want to give people a chance. To just really deal with this issue in the heart, Some, and many come up last night to deal with it. Why don't we just make a decision? Close your eyes right now, just as we finish the service. We've got an opportunity to, to pray for people, and for some of you, this is maybe a bit of a journey. So just close your eyes, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there a place in my heart where I've judged my father?
and in judging him have dishonored him. And God wants to deal with that thing in my life today. Is there a place in my heart where I've judged and dishonored my mother, found fault with her, and, and in my heart been resistant? Perhaps I've shut my father and mother out. I just don't want to connect with them. It's just all too painful. And I understand. But just face what you've got in your heart. Say, God, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to respond? For some of you, you may need to make a decision to face the pain. It could be a bit of a journey. One way to start the journey is to just talk to someone about it or sit down and write a letter where you express value and appreciation for what is good if you can find something there's always something and then begin to outline what they did and how it's affected you and how emotionally it's affected you and how you've lived with this thing and and then come to a place of grieving and release forgiveness and you get rid of the lead destroyed it's just a way of engaging your heart some of you today you'll need to just forgive some of you today will need to renounce judgments sometimes we forgive people but don't renounce the judgment well, all men will treat me this way. People will abandon me. You can never trust people. Women will let you down. Women will try and control you. Women will tell you all the time what to do. Women will just put you to shame in front of your friends. See, that this kind of, these are judgments. That's what they sound like. Never trust a woman. That's a judgment. Never trust a man. That's a judgment. You've made a judgment. You've based all men based on one. You've made a judgment. And so it'll come through and affect all men that you connect with in your world. See, let the Holy Spirit show you where you've made a judgment. I'll never be loved. You may have judged yourself. I'll never be good enough. Perhaps there were curses put on you by your mother and father, words they spoke of hate and bitterness, brought shame and grief and despondency to your soul. You need to renounce those curses now and, and agreeing with those words. That's brought yourself into judgment. May have judged yourself. The thing I struggle with because my dad was a very finicky and detailed person, never thought I was good enough. Because no matter what I'd do and how hard I worked, I'd come home and he'd look at it and he'd point out not the successes, but where I could have done better. And I came to the judgment about myself. I'm not good enough. Whatever I do is never going to be good enough. I needed to renounce my agreement with those judgments and come to the truth. God is in me. God is working through me. I do my best for the Lord. I walk in excellence and I improve all the time. So I wonder how many today, you know God's speaking to you and you need to repent, forgive, renounce judgments, or just make a decision. I've been a dishonoring, I've been dishonoring of my parents. I've just shut them away. You know, the next generation will learn to honor you because of the way you honored your parents. And maybe there are security issues and safety issues. Well, it's okay. You can still honor people in your heart and treat them with respect and maintain safe boundaries. If a person's been unsafe, you need to put safe boundaries around their, their conduct and, and their connections. So I'm not saying go back into a dangerous situation or anything like that. I'm just saying deal with what's in your heart so your heart is free. If that's you, why don't you just make your way to the front and say, God, you're talking to me today. I want to deal with this issue.
can you just keep an atmosphere just of worship? God is starting to touch the hearts of people. People are weeping as they're having to face the reality of what has happened. And it's heartbreaking. Some have got heartbreaking stories. Now, some of, I know some of the women have been quite deeply affected. So, sisters, I want you just to keep your eyes closed. Your father may already be dead. Your father may have abandoned the family or been abusive. And so I want to stand as a father, father of seven children, father of many grandchildren. I want to stand as a father. And I want to stand on behalf of your father to acknowledge to you that I failed you. I was abused, I was angry. I abandoned you. I hurt you in so many ways that I could never ever restore or repair what I did. I've created great pain when I should have been a source of great blessing. Instead of affirming your identity and your beauty as a woman, I contributed to destroying it. And I am so sorry. Can you find grace in your heart today to forgive me and to let go of the judgments and the bitterness that have continued to be so destructive in your life? speak to the men here today. Stand on behalf of fathers. They've been passive, been abusive, have not been present. I want to speak to you as a father and stand in the place of your father. I'm so sorry I was not there for you. That I put work before you. That I was angry unapproachable, passive, shut down. And when you needed me to stand with you and to support you, I was never there. I never affirmed you as a young man and stood with you and helped you in your journey into manhood. And so you felt deep rejection, never been good enough. It's been hurt and anger in your heart of my actions and failures as a father. I am so sorry. I've caused you to carry in your heart such anger and bitterness, such judgments. It's had such a deep effect in your life. Can you forgive me today? Is there grace today in your heart to forgive and to let go? Release the judgments so you can get on with your life and move past the pain. But you stretch your hands out to the people here. As many of them are going to get delivered to just set free in a moment. This incredible presence of God here right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I break the generational curses. I break the curses of Freemasonry that have brought bitterness, hatred, death, emotional hardness. I broke those spirits of Freemasonry. I come against spirits of anger, violence, abuse, abandonment. 
Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church in San Diego. To find out more information, check us out online at c3sandiego.com.